excited. We're starting a new series here at Brantford Bible Chapel. When you get ready to study the life of Abraham, there's 14 chapters. When you get ready to study the life of Joseph, there's 14 chapters. Study the life of Jacob, there are 11. Study the life of Elijah, there are 9. When you get ready to study the life of David, there are 66 Bible chapters covering his biography. There are 59 references to him in the New Testament. More is known about David than perhaps any other biblical personality outside of the Lord Jesus. At different times, he was poor and rich. Then he was hated and beloved. He was persecuted and honored. He was obscure and prominent. He was a sinner and a worshiper. I'm excited to study David. Um, It's our desire that we would simply um, glean from his life. Remember the verse there in Romans, I believe, is where it says these things uh, were recorded in the past for our learning. So we're to look at some of these scriptures and learn from them, um, their mistakes and their victories. I was thinking about this. I really, uh, we are trying to, as speakers, we're going to try to um, teach basically what are the good works that David did and what is his failures? What are the bad things he did? Sometimes it's interesting, you know, we don't like to mention good works, right? Because it's almost like automatically our mind goes to, hey, you know, good works won't get you into heaven. And we agree, right? We're saved um, by grace through faith alone. But I do love the next part of that verse as well. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, you can turn there. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, we are a people that are supposed to do good works. And as the verse by the geniusness of scriptures would dictate, God's the one that prepared them anyway beforehand. We don't even get to kind of get credit. They're already laid out for us to do. However... We are to do good works. That's part of being a Christian. Um, We don't just get saved and go, hey, let's just learn about Jesus and not apply anything. And so our goal is that we will look at this life of David and see the things he did right and also see the things he did wrong. There's a whole piece of David that's typology. He's a type of Christ. I'm sure that will come out at times. But our focus will be what did he do right? What did he do wrong? that we might practically apply these things to our lives um, and not make the same mistakes, obviously, that he did. Let's look to the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you um, again that when you uh, decided to give us your word, uh, so much of it is just stories of humans that have lived down here on earth. I thank you for the way you have put together your scripture. Thank you that it's just such a great balance of historical narrative and poetry and um, letters written to the churches and the gospels and and lord we just we thank you the way you put it all together Uh, we pray during this time lord that we will be built up and edified that we would be encouraged in the faith that we would look unto you 
as the perfect one and try to be like you. And Lord, all the time acknowledging that it's impossible for us to be like you without your help. And so we pray even now that you would do a tremendous work, that you would help us increase our faith. Uh, Have your spirit teach us the things you would have us to learn at this point in time. May we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of who you are. We thank you so much uh, for our future wedding day. We look forward to it. We look forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And uh, we're glad that you made a way possible that we could be with you forever. Lord, be honored and glorified above all. In your name, amen. Turn to 1 Samuel, please, chapter 16. We will start in verse 9. So some of the background here is the prophet Samuel has come to anoint a new king. Um, He goes to the house of Jesse, and uh, he comes really saying, I come to sacrifice for the Lord. He brings a heifer with him, and uh, Jesse brings out all his sons. The Lord says, none of these. And so we will pick up here in verse 10. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the middle of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. If you turn down to... I'm sorry, let's keep reading. We'll keep going in verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. The thoughts go through my mind of simply, why did God pick David? I was talking to Danny a little bit right before, you know, um, it's interesting, because obviously it's sovereign will. God picks who he picks. Um, And yet there is also a piece to the very simple fact that God has given us talents. Now he's given us spiritual gifts. And when we walk in faith and use those gifts or talents, then the Lord can open up doors for more things, right? And so the Lord has many things planned for us, but we can actually not walk in those plans, right? And so I want to look at what was the characteristics of David. And I'm just being a little uh, extra cautious even maybe for us to remember that 
These characteristics of David are very, um, I think they're awesome. And yet we understand that God is the one who has blessed him with these things. There is also the peace, though, that David was obedient in these things. And that's why God could use him further. Um, God bestowed on him these skills. However, David practiced and applied his natural God-given talents, and the Lord saw fit to grow them. Okay? So I really want to um, have a little alliteration here. I think David is the man who God chose to be king because he stuck with the job. He was skillful in playing, a strong man of courage, a soldier of soldiers. He spoke with intelligence. Really, we're going to look at one verse, verse 18 here. One of these servants who describes David in such a beautiful way. In such a beautiful way. But first, sticking with the job. You know, when we first started reading, I always thought it was interesting. You got to, again, I'm always uh, kind of big into recreating the scene in our minds so we understand. David's in the field watching sheep, and here comes Samuel. And the prophet, you know, I don't know really how happy people were to see the prophet. Because actually, you can see there in verse 4 of chapter 16, Samuel did what the Lord said, went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, saying, do you come peaceably? It was not necessarily like, hey, Sam's here, woo, the prophet's coming. And so, Jesse's like, hey, hey, he's, he's coming this way. <laughs> hey, I, I think he's coming to our house. Let's, 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 get, let's, let's get things going. The prophet's going to be here. And Samuel says, let me see your sons. And all these sons are going to come through. And um, even in the conversations, right? Like Jesse's sitting there saying, uh, what, what, why are we here, Samuel? God's going to anoint a king. And you're at my house, right? <laughs> that's that's kind of interesting. Yeah, God's going to anoint one of your sons as the next king of Israel. <laughs> okay. Okay. And so these sons, you know, sometimes this is a very horrible illustration. Now, you're not. Remember in Cinderella, when the prince is coming and everyone's trying to make their daughter, like, hey, that slipper's got to fit no matter what. <laughs> you know, then you get to be queen. <laughs> um, I'm not saying they were like that, but the scene is wow, these guys are stepping before Samuel, and one by one he's going, this ain't the one. This ain't the one. And there is a huge sacrifice going. And I'm sure the smell of a heifer being sacrificed is starting to permeate a little bit. And so this whole time, don't you think David might be in the field going, am I missing out on the party? <laughs> I, I don't want to be here in the field. <laughs> Looks like a prophet's there. Looks like all my brothers are going. Looks like we're about to eat. <laughs> And yet, that's not his response. That's not his response. He sticks with his job. It says, clearly, in verse 11, there remains yet the youngest. David is in eye view. So I have to imagine he can see the prophet and his brothers. And he's sitting there with sheep. Now, if me, if I had some sheep to take care of, guess what? Those sheep can be fine on themselves. I'm going to go hang out with the prophet. I'm going to go hang out with my brothers. I'm going to go eat some of that heifer. That's what I'm going to do. And yet this shows the character of David. He has responsibilities. Again, this is the beautiful picture of him being a shepherd, and this is the picture of our Lord Jesus. He cares about dumb little sheep. 
And I don't think most people did at that time. It's not the pet you kind of, it's not the animal you kind of care for. It's just a dumb sheep. And they just kind of go out and you make sure nothing happens. But guess what? If an animal does attack, hey, you got a few, let that, that guy wins. The bear gets it. Congratulations. But not true with the good shepherd. <laughs> not true. And David's got responsibilities. He doesn't want to forsake his job to try to go see something better. Do you think we struggle with that in this day and age? <laughs> Do you think any of us struggle with that? Not staying with the job God's given us because we want to go get something better. <laughs> you know, I really do have to, uh, that, that story scares me of Korah. They thought, well, what we're doing is not that important. And God opened up the earth and swallowed them in front of the whole Israelite nation. We have to be very careful when we say, yeah, God's given me this. Ah, it's just not that important. This ministry has given me, eh. It's got to be something better. It's got to be something better for me to do. That's not David's attitude. And don't you want a king like that? <laughs> a guy who looks out, actually, for the little things? A guy who's committed to his job in the little things? That's the kind of king I want to serve. Sticks with the job. Now let's get on to skillful in playing. I thought it was very interesting reading this again. You know, and some of us know the story of David. He's anointed, and yet he patiently waits for God to put him in the place that he's already anointed. This whole battle between him and Saul for years. But I just thought it was interesting. How does David get to the palace first? I mean, he's already been anointed. And he's got to be sitting there thinking, God, how are you going to work this out? I mean, I'm just tending my sheep. And yet one day I'll be king. You've already anointed me. I mean, should I go apply? Should I start doing something in the palace? Do I, do I try to get recognized? What do I do? I don't think he was saying that. I think maybe that's in my mind. And I think it's so interesting of how he gets in the palace. He's a good heart player. That's really the path God chose to get him into the palace? He's good at a musical instrument? It didn't, that doesn't seem like the right path to me. And yet that's what it was. And David's sitting there tending sheep, learning an instrument. He's a young guy. He's learning how to play the harp. Who would have thought, by any stretch of the imagination, that his hours of practice to get good at the harp would actually be the thing that God uses for him to sit before a king in a humongous place of influence. There is no greater influence in the nation at this point than the palace. Israel didn't have a king. They demand a king. Saul's their first king. First one. Outside of God, of course, but, you know, in human terms. And, and Saul, the king suddenly needs a heart player. And that's how God's going to get David in there. A skillful heart player. Hey, just because I play the piano a little bit, and everyone in the music ministry kind of tell you, I, I know what it takes to be able to play. No one, I don't care if it's a natural talent, 
No one picks up an instrument in a couple minutes. No one does. And if you learn how to play well, it is hours and hours of training to be able to play that instrument right. And if David is this good, or he's got a reputation, they say, yeah, get David in here. He has spent hours and hours practicing. He spent hours, guaranteed. Isn't that amazing that God would use this? Through this simple skill of playing an instrument, he would later become the psalmist of Israel. God would allow and and God would write (laughs) songs that we read today that David penned. Who would have thought just learning an instrument would have been so important? He is now sitting before Saul in a place of influence because he can play an instrument. He's someone that can endure. He's someone that can practice. Listen, I just I don't want to downplay God-given talents. Again, this is not by any means works, but you know what? It's good to teach kids to develop a skill. It's good. It's good for us to be good at our jobs, to do it with God's wisdom and God behind us, no matter what the job is. Christians should have a work ethic of endurance because you don't know how God's going to use it. And sometimes I think we forget of the people that sometimes have started hospitals in Jesus Christ's name. There's a lot of work that got into being able to be a doctor. Lots of work. And I still remember to this day, um, Ken Hedvall, a missionary from Paraguay. I think I was 18. He said, hey, man, what do you want to do for a job? It's funny, as I think of my answers, I didn't pursue any of them, but... (laughs) One of them was, I wanted to be a carpenter. I think another one was, yeah, I know. I know. One, I'm glad you're listening. One of them, I, I forget what it was. But anyway, I still remember Ken's response. Oh, good. We need carpenters to build things in Paraguay. Okay, Ken. <laughs> he went through every single thing that I listed. And he goes, yeah, you know what? We need that in Paraguay. <laughs> I'm going, what are you talking about, dude? And actually, I do remember very clearly in my mind going, a missionary is someone who goes and preaches and does Bible stuff. What are you talking about? A carp- what would a carpenter do? And yet, sometimes that's exactly what the field needs, is a carpenter <laughs> or an electrician. Or how about this for something crazy? Someone who can play a guitar and lead singing for people. <laughs> That's important, guys. That's important. So again, I don't, I don't really care what the skill is. But it's important that we work hard. That we work hard and develop some of our natural talents. Because we don't know what the Lord will do. We don't know what the Lord will do with those things. And if he chooses not to use them, hey, that's fine. That's fine. But sometimes we, 
we tend to not see those things as important. I think they're important. I think they're important. You could have easily seen someone saying, David, you've been anointed king. Stop, stop wasting your time playing the harp. You're about to be a king. Put that stuff aside, man. Stop worrying about the sheep, man. You've been anointed king. You've got to start, you gotta start doing your thing here, man. <laughs> That's exactly what God wanted him to do is learn the harp. All right. He was a strong man of courage. A strong man of courage. My version says a mighty man of valor. Valor, courage, also can mean like a force, almost like an army. It's a mighty strong force. (laughs) Mighty strong force. Numerous times in the Bible it says, Be strong and courageous, for the Lord is with you. Be strong and courageous. David, at this early age, was known as a strong force among people. That's a pretty interesting testimony. A strong man of courage. And some of us might remember, yeah, he's, he's ready to take on a bear. He's ready to take on a lion. He has courage. I would like to suggest, and again, this is glorified imagination. Glorified imagination, I can't be dogmatic. But I, I think there's a very courageous scene here in the passage we read today. You're the youngest of eight. We don't have any uh, families of eight here, right? We, right? So, but we have some big families, so we, we can almost see these things. You're the youngest of eight brothers, so who knows how many sisters he actually has. Family might be bigger. And, and you're standing. You suddenly hear Daddy go, hey, come here. Okay. Now you're in front of a prophet. You're in front of seven of your older brothers who I don't know if they have the best looks on. Again, Glorified imagination, but they've been passed up. <laughs> maybe they're smiling. Maybe they're not. I have no idea. And Samuel says, you're the next king. There, there's, no, there's no precursor here. There's no letter coming in the mail saying, hey, I'm coming with some good news. This is David on an everyday, normal life, sitting in the field. Suddenly there's a prophet. Suddenly the prophet goes, Neil, I'm going to anoint you king of Israel. <laughs> now, the reason I say that is Scripture does not say that David had a problem with that. What happened when they wanted to anoint Saul? He's hiding. He's hiding. What happens when God says, Moses, you're going to lead my people? <laughs> not, not, not me. Not me. I think it takes a courageous act to be in front of seven of your older brothers, in front of your father, prophet of Israel goes, get on your knees, I'm going to anoint you oil. And you go, okay. <laughs> okay. That's a tremendous act of courage to me. Tremendous. And I'm going to tell you something. When God calls you to something, it would be awesome if we had some courage. <laughs> okay. Okay. We need people of courage. Courage is one of those hard things. Turn to Psalms 27. Psalms 
Psalms 27 and verse 14. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. I just kind of want to look at the timing. You know, courage is sometimes people say facing your fear, being able to stand up. Um, it's always that first step of faith to make the stand, right? And I think it looks interesting here in the Psalms where it says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, then the Lord strengthens your heart. Almost as if you have to stand up and be courageous, start to walk into what Lord is giving you, and then he strengthens your heart. Then he goes, okay, I'm going to strengthen you right now. I'm going to make you be more courageous than you thought. Well, I don't know about you, but isn't that how life works sometimes? Listen, I'm not good at it, right? I'm not good at visiting people who are sick in the hospital. I'm just not good. Um, I'm trying to get better. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Um, but I, it's just, it's not something that comes natural for me. I can have anyone over the house and, and I can talk to you until you're blue in the face. But to go see someone who's sick in the hospital is just, it's just not my cup of tea. Um, but by God's grace, I'm, I'm uh, trying to do it more. So, the simple fact of that is, for some weird reason, it takes me courage to do it. But it's usually not until I, I am walking into the building that God would have strengthened me to do what I have to do. And I think that's just how it works sometimes, is that... It's so easy to say, hey, this ain't my cup of tea. Let someone else do it. And, and I would never know the difference unless I was a man of courage and said, oh, God, help me. I'm going to go be courageous. and I'm going to go visit this person in the hospital. But you know what? When you get to the hospital, you, you, get, you get all that blessing of going, wow, God is actually changing the way I feel. Wow. God is actually changing the way I think. I don't mind really being here. You know what else helps in that situation? Is going with someone. <laughs> That's why we're told to encourage one another. Because sometimes it's hard to be courageous. It's a lot easier when someone's next to you. A lot easier. <laughs> so that's where we have fellowship and we help one another get courageous by encouraging one another. He's a soldier of soldiers. Says he's a man of war. He's a man of war. I do love the story where he says, "Listen, I killed a lion and a bear." And again, uh, that that might be a story that you have heard a lot. And uh, yeah, the older I get, that little lamb dies. No question. No question. Not going to sit there and go attack a lion or a bear for a stupid little lamb. Just not going to do it. Not going to do it. And if you read the passage, it would appear like like David goes and he almost, I don't know what he does, but he's about to go fight this animal to where the animal drops the lamb. So now the lamb is safe and now the animal is coming at David. It says he grabbed it by its beard. Listen, I I don't know how many wild animals you've, you've handled. I've handled a few. I don't know how many domesticated animals you've handled. 
I have a puppy. Do you understand sometimes the strength of a little yellow lab? Because when I'm trying to get that little yellow lab right now, and I pin it because it was trying to run away from me, sometimes I have to use all my strength just to hold that thing in place. Now, I could be a weak person. Who knows? But a bear coming at you who doesn't like you, that's strength untold. A lion coming at you, it's, all it's got is animal instincts. It's got no cognitive reasoning going, do you want to talk this out? has none of that. It's just a wild animal coming at you. And its only mind is, I'm going to kill you before you kill me. That's it. And David says, hey, bring it on. I'm going to save this little lamb. <laughs> the dude likes to fight. The dude has no problem scrapping. And this is a weird thing because sometimes we as Christians, it's like that fine line of we are called to love, but we're called to fight. And how do you, how do you balance this out? How do you balance fighting and loving? I think a few things, just from a little story we did. Why is David fighting? In that little scene of the, of the land, he's fighting for the land. He's not fighting for himself. Everyone gets that? He's fighting for an animal that's pretty insignificant, actually. That's what he's fighting for. And the Lord Jesus fought for us on Calvary. He went against all that hell could give. And every evil institution, every evil power... He fought for us. And you know what? We're pretty insignificant. Pretty insignificant. And he fought. And he won. He's a mighty warrior. Our Jesus Christ. He is. And it's okay to be a soldier of soldiers. But it's why we fight. David's fighting for the lamb. He's not sitting there trying to go, Hey, bear, guess what? I'm better than you. It's not why he's doing it. David was always willing to fight injustice as well. I think of the time when, you know, I love uh, his reaction to when Nathan the prophet gives a little story about a little sheep that was taken from a rich guy. And David is willing to just go to town. Whoever took that little sheep from that dude, I'm going to punish him. His injustice really bothered him. It bothered him. He was ready to fight when he saw injustice. Again, I'm not going to take any from David and Goliath. That's next week. But obviously, he's got some problems with someone talking about God like that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who? Let's, let's, I'm ready to fight. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about God like that. And it should bother us. Injustice should bother us. Not make it some political nonsense either, by the way. True injustice should bother the Christian. Because God's against injustice. He's against it. You don't just fight to fight. Turn to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 18. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 18 says, Plans are established by counsel. By wise counsel, wage war. You know fighters. 
They just want to fight. <laughs> they don't care. They're almost looking for the person to say the wrong thing to them. This actually would say, listen, before you go to war, you better get some wise counsel. <laughs> there's a time for war. There's a time for peace. But you better have some wise counsel before you go battle. Right? I still remember, and I was glad that I laughed at it. I'm hanging out senior year in my house. My buddy Jeremiah, it's actually funny, I always called him Bullfrog, but right now I'll call him Jeremiah because you'd be like, why are you calling your friend Bullfrog? He's hanging out, and we're playing, you know, we, we were on the football team together. Out of the blue, these kids never came over to my house before. <laughs> Three of my friends for the football team drive up. I don't even know how they knew I lived there, by the way. They knock on the door, and my mom goes, uh, you have some friends here. Uh, okay. Me and Jeremiah are like, yo, what are you guys doing here? And literally, they're like, hey, about to go be a fight. You want to come? Are you, what? Yeah, man, up at Grasso Tech. We got some crazy, like, 10 on 10. Thought you guys were big. You want to fight. And I remember literally, again, Maybe by God's grace, me and Jeremiah look at them laughing, going, are you, are you out of your mind? We're like hanging out on a Friday night. No, we don't want to go up and fight for no reason. What are, you, are you stupid? I'm like, all right, man, I just, want, I just wanted to pop in before we do it. <laughs> okay, hope it works out. Like, there are people that just want to fight for no reason. They have problems, okay? But there's also the piece of fighting and you have had wise counsel. You've thought about how you want to battle. You've thought about how you want to fight and your purpose is good. Listen, I am just from, from this kind of scripture, I think David looks there and goes, wow, animal on my little lamb. I, it's my job to protect it. Let's think this out. How am I going to get this lamb out of that animal's mouth? He's not sitting there going, oh yeah, bear today. <laughs> Let's go tackle that thing. I think he's sitting there strategically going, oh, man. And the, and the best part about it is he's all probably all by himself in a field. No one cares if that lamb is killed. No one is saying, David, you didn't want to fight the bear. No one's saying that. But he's going to fight. And you know he's a great warrior throughout Scripture. And in fact, David conquered more land for Israel than any other king. David. Gave more land to Israel than any other king. He's a good soldier. If you met someone who was a mighty strong force and was a good fighter, yet had no leadership abilities, you know what they are? They're a bully. It says here that he was prudent in speech. So now you have this guy getting described as a mighty strong force who loves to fight. And yet, he's intelligent with his words. You usually don't get that combination. A guy who's strong likes to fight and yet can talk to people. Can talk to people. He's intelligent. There's so many things we could say about being prudent in speech. And again, I, I still sometimes wonder, you know, just to let us know, some, um, 
Some people would say that this whole scene happens after, it's kind of like a chronologically misplaced in the Bible, that this whole scene happens after David Goliath, and that's why he gets this rep. I don't think so. Uh, I can tell you some of the reasons later. But regardless, he's a young guy, a young guy, and he has this reputation. And to be a young person, and people say, hey, that guy knows how to talk to people. That guy is intelligent when he speaks. He speaks with wisdom. He speaks prudently. He speaks prudently. That's why, that's why God wants him to be king. You've got to be able to speak to people if you're going to be in charge of a country. You've got to. You've got to be able to talk to the people. And so some of these things was this. I think he really knew how to speak to people that were under his authority. Remember, as he goes on, he's going to have 400 mighty men. And some of the dialogue between David and those mighty men is awesome. He knows how to be a boss, and he knows how to talk to people under his authority. Those guys were willing to fight and give their lives for him. And if you talk the wrong way, eventually they don't really, they're not that loyal. (laughs) They're not that loyal. He knew how to speak to kings and others in authority. He knew how to talk to Saul, even though Saul got really mad. By the way, the whole courageous thing, remember when Saul tries to kill him? I think it says twice. David sticks to his job and keeps playing the harp. I think I would have called out sick. Okay? I just, you know, sometimes we read these stories. The dude, dude has a spear thrown into the wall, and Saul goes, hey, I want to hear your harp again next week. Okay, that's my job. I'm calling out sick. He knew how to speak to common folk. That's important, right? I think of when he was dancing and Michael, his wife, says, oh, basically, you look like one of these peasants. Today. You're hanging out with common people. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. He knew how to speak to them. He knew how to speak to them. And I think maybe some of it's from his roots. He knew he's a shepherd. He knew where he came from. I'm the youngest of eight. Believe me, I'm going to learn how to talk to people. If you want your voice heard in a family of eight, you're going to learn how to talk. He knew how to speak when he wanted to praise the Lord. The Psalms, Psalms, that they speak for themselves. He knew how to worship, knew how to praise the Lord. One of the things I love best, he knew how to speak when he sinned. He doesn't talk a lot. Some of his biggest mess-ups, he simply says, I've sinned. Done. Unlike others you can read, like Saul. Again, I don't want to take other people's messages, but remember when Saul gets called out for his mistake, he's got a lot of things to say why it's not his fault. David gets called out, I've sinned. He knows how to talk when he's sinned. The guy knows how to talk intelligently. And we would be a people that would be wise to learn how to talk to people. Simple proverb. If you want to work on your speech, read Proverbs. There's so many Proverbs that you can just pick one and work on it for a couple of weeks. You know, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. Right? Learn how to be quiet sometimes. Learn when to speak. Learn how to speak. All those things can be filled with the Proverbs. 
fulfilled in them. Finally, the last one here. Well, I shouldn't say the last one because I, I kind of skipped over. It says he's a good-looking guy. <laughs> hey, if the Lord made you good-looking, you can use it, right? And then, one of the best is, here it says, after he gives all these accolades of uh, David, he says, and the Lord is with him. The Lord is with this guy. Isn't that amazing? I was sitting there, uh, I thought maybe my kids were ready. I think we read part of this this week, and... uh, I wanted to read where it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went. I said, Anyone think anything's weird about that? And they were like, No. Okay. So just the Spirit of God came upon David? And I think one of them said, Yeah. That's what happens when you're saved. I said, Oh, so David got saved here. And now they're like, Oh, what's, I don't know what he's talking about. And again, hopefully, you know, the Lord was gracious, I didn't confuse him. But <laughs> uh, the reason I'm saying this whole story is, remember, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. The Spirit of God left Saul. It was not a guarantee to have the Spirit of God with you before the cross. And yet, we have been given the Spirit as a guarantee. Guys, if you're a believer today, the Lord is with you. There is no one that should be able to look at us and say, God, it's not with them. Because unlike days of old, the living and breathing God lives in us. And so, yes, God is with us. God is with us. And we dishonor Him if people look at us and don't see that. We should be a people. That they say, God is with that person. I don't know. I I can't even explain it. But there's something about that person. God is with them. They don't get upset like normal people. They seem to be blessed, unlike other people. God is with that person. You know how great it is that you can have all these accolades and then at the very end, almost like the, the, the pinnacle, Saul, God's with this guy. Don't you want someone that God is with here in the palace? <laughs> Especially when you have this distressing spirit? Bring the person into play who has God with them. That would be a good thing, Saul. I think that's where we should go with David. And yet, the world can call on us and say, can you come over? Just want to hang out? Can you answer a few questions? Can we just go out to dinner together? Because God's with you. And maybe I can learn something about life. Don't take for granted that God lives in us. Don't take your salvation for granted. We have power through Him. We have influence through Him. We can have all these things Intelligent speech, strong, fighters, normal everyday skills through him. Don't take it for granted. I think it was pretty cool. I think this verse, I never really saw it in this light before. 
I think some of these reasons are why God wanted David to be king. I think that's why he picked him. And it's our, again, goal as a body, right? To read through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and we're going to find out what he did right and what he did wrong. So again, I would encourage you, read through this week. Come up with your... Listen, speakers do not want... Oh, shoot, you found that too in Scripture? I was going to talk about that Sunday. <laughs> that never bothers them. Can I just, I'll speak for the other speakers. Not only us, but it's awesome to come to church and be like, you know what I learned about David this week? You know, I, I saw this in a different way. Look at this. It's not going to bother the speakers. Like, well, man, I don't know if I should say that now in the pulpit. It's, it's great. <laughs> Let's all look at this life of David and talk about it and see what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much that you are uh, so much more better than David, that you are the son of David. You're the bright and morning star, and yet you are the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You're the one that created David. You're the one that anointed him and knew exactly what he was going to do in the future. You're the one that allowed such a great lineage to come through. You chose his line that you would be coming from that line. Oh, Lord, thank you that even in your miraculous plan again, you wanted to be from the line of a poor shepherd boy. Thank you so much for just your humility that you are strong. You're courageous. You are the ultimate warrior and you definitely know how to talk to people. Thank you so much for your presence. In your name, amen.